this time of worship that you've given us, this uh, anointing that you've given this worship team, uh, Pastor Jonathan, Lord, that they lead us uh, to to uh, pluck the strings of our hearts as we come before your throne of grace to worship you, the great I am, our Father, our Counselor, our Prince of Peace, our mighty God, Lord. Father, we just thank you so much. We praise you. We exalt your name. Father, now as we prepare to give back, we we give this offering to you, knowing that this church is a church that's devoted to getting the word of God out, to bringing the nations to proclaim the glories of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, Lord. So we pray, Father, that we give with a joyful heart, with a cheerful spirit, Father, that our giving is pleasing to you. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, you can be seated. The ushers will come up and take our morning offering. So glad to be here with you today. Um, my name is Rich Saplita, and this is Oh, Children's Church. Okay, yeah, we got to do... Okay, he'll do that. <laughs> All right. So uh, so my name is Rich Saplita. This is my wife, Mary Catherine. Uh, for those of you who don't know us, we are the uh, part-time directors here of evangelism and local outreach. Um, we have a, a nonprofit organization called Ask a Former Atheist. We launched last year. You could go to askaformeratheist.com or just Google Ask a Former Atheist. We're involved in about seven or eight, sometimes ten, uh, ministries locally and all across the country. We focus heavily upon evangelism and apologetics, and we're very active on the campus of University of Georgia. So we wanted to share a little bit this morning, just for a few minutes, about uh, what type of work we do. And we'll start with Mary Catherine sharing an anecdote from our Friday night outreach. So on Friday night, Rich was um, preaching the word downtown, and there were some people gathering around, and a young man started asking a lot of questions. And Rich said, what's your name, sir? And he said, he said my name is Curon. He said, Curon, do you want to be born again? He said, maybe a little bit. <laughs> and Rich said, I pray for you. I trust God, and I pray for you right now that um, he will convict your heart and you'll be born again. Uh, he kept on preaching, and then 30 minutes later, we see him in our whiteboard uh, with one of our UGA students, and he was praying and professing Christ. Amen. So, yeah. The Bible says that faith comes how? Through hearing, right? Hearing the word of Christ. Romans chapter 10. How will they hear without a preacher? I'm not the only preacher here. <laughs> you guys are preachers. You're proclaimers of the gospel. You are, if you're born again, guess what? You are to evangelize. You are to share the good news of Jesus Christ. We just sang about it. We sang this, this wonderful worship set about God calling out us, us out of darkness and, and proclaiming over our lives. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, and Christ says, get up out of that grave. You're done being dead. I'm going to make you alive together with Christ. If you are born again, you have a testimony, and you also have the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, as ambassadors of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, we are to be prepared to go and represent God, represent Christ, represent the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think of the words of Jesus um, before he ascended, you know, right before he goes back to heaven, before the Holy Spirit comes, it's 10 days before Pentecost, Jesus uh, is about to ascend back to the Father and I'll give you a few, uh, three different, three different uh, references from Scripture. And so Matthew 28, we call it the Great Commission. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. You are authorized to be, a, if you're born again, to be a representative of Jesus Christ. All authority has been given to me in heaven on the, and on earth. Go and disciple the nations. Going, as you go, make disciples of all of the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all things, just as I have commanded you. Mark chapter 16, Jesus says, go into the world, preach the gospel to every living creature. Okay, we got to be prepared to do that. We got to be equipped to do that. Uh, Acts 1, uh, Jesus says, uh, he says that, he, he tells the, the, uh, the disciples that the power of God will come upon them when they receive the Holy Spirit, 
okay? What is an evangelist? An evangelist is a spirit-empowered witness, okay? You, could, you should be a spirit-empowered witness. You should receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and unto the ends of the earth. That last part hasn't been completed yet. This is why, this is one of the reasons God called you out of darkness into light, so you could carry the gospel, the message of salvation into your world. Okay, so we are a proclamation ministry, okay? Uh, that, there was no expiration date. Jesus was an open-air evangelist. Paul was an open-air evangelist. Peter was an open-air evangelist. Uh, these guys went out and proclaimed. They taught one-on-one. -on -one. They showed people in mass. They, they revealed Christ to them one-on-one. -on -one. Um, and so we need to be about that business to proclaim and to equip, to equip the body, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, right, to, to build up the body so that we're prepared and equipped. And so this Saturday here at the church building um, from 9 a.m. until noon, so just three hours, uh, Dr. David Holt, you know he's a doctor, <laughs> Dr. David Holt um, is about to bring the lesson to you and I are going to uh, do a short apologetic series. I call it Apologetics 101, the bare essentials, the basics of defending the Christian faith. We'll talk about um, the existence of God, that God exists, that the Bible, Scripture, is the inspired, infallible, inerrant Word of God, and that Jesus Christ is not a way, not my way, but He is the way, the truth, and the life. So... Um, Sign up on the app, right? We'll have some light breakfast for you, and we look forward to seeing you on Saturday. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, Rich and Mary Catherine. I look forward to doing that with you on Saturday. All right, children that wish to go to Children's Church, you're dismissed out that exit. Rest of you, take out your Bibles, turn to 1 John chapter 2. We are going to have an exciting time in God's Word today. Before we get into it, though, I have two people or several in the audience that I want to recognize, CJ and Megan Southwick. Uh, are here with their daughter. Uh, CJ, thank you for serving our country. He's been based in Hawaii and is here for just a brief period. And then um, when, I was, uh, when I graduated from University of Georgia in 1983, I was, moved to Minneapolis and became the college pastor of Grace Church Edina. And uh, a, a woman who was in our college group at the time, Karen, and two of her 10, 10 children, uh, Gabriel and Ruth, are here. They drove all the way down from Minneapolis to be with us today. So great to have you all. All right, you guys, get ready. Man, this is going to be exciting. I'm going to answer five questions in 30 minutes, and then we're going to have some Q&A, and here are the five questions we're going to answer. Are we in the end times? Who is the Antichrist? Who are these many Antichrists? What is this thing called the anointing? And what is this doctrine called the perseverance of the saints? All five questions come from this passage. Let's stand. As I read 1 John chapter 2, beginning of verse 18. Children, it is the last hour. Say last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist, singular, is coming, so now many Antichrists, plural, have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed. Say, I've been anointed. By the Holy One. And you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Say, the truth. Rich, is it common today <laughs> in your many travels that people will say, well, there's no objective moral truth today? My truth. Yeah, I have my truth, you have your truth, and... Yeah, but the Bible says the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Look, you can't get one without the other. <laughs> the Trinity, you cannot separate. If you get the Son, you get the Spirit. 
You get the Father, if you get the Father, you get the Son, you get the Spirit. If you get the Spirit, you get the Son, you get the Father. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. Say abide. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. This is the promise that he made to us eternal life. By the way, you've seen the Son and the Father right there in that verse. You saw the Holy One in verse 20. You got the Trinity right here in this passage. Verse 26, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Listen, one of the reasons John wrote this book is because there were many groups that were, that were preaching false teachings. They were trying to deceive and lead people astray. It is no different today, maybe more so today. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Be alert, Christians, be alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Satan's alive and well, and he doesn't sleep at night. But neither does God. He neither slumbers nor sleeps. Amen? Verse 27, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is not a lie, just as it has been taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him. Now listen, this is a key verse. If you memorized any verse out of this section, memorize verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, he's coming back, folks, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Holy Spirit, anoint your word now. We receive from you. Tenderize and humble our hearts that we receive from your Holy Spirit as you speak and move among us. God, I pray that every person who hears this message would be so radically abiding in you that they would not shrink in shame when you return. That we be ready, that we be eager, that we be hungry to, to hug you hold you, receive you, and that there be nothing to be ashamed of when you return or we meet you face to face in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right, let's dive right in because I want to give plenty of time for Q&A. Number one, are we in the end times? This passage says in the last hour. Now listen, when the Bible talks about the end times, it talks about it in two aspects. So it's very important that you understand this. There's the end times general, which we are a part of, and, and really uh, defines the period of time in redemptive history from the moment Jesus ascended to heaven. Then there's the specific end times where it's like, oh, we're really getting closer and closer. It's like the end of the end of the end. It's like the, 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 the last hour of the last day, okay? So in redemptive history, there are these periods of time when God has worked. There's the period before Christ. There's the period of Christ. Then there's a period after Christ. He ascended. That period after Christ is that period that the Bible defines in many ways as the end times or the last days. Acts 2, Pentecost. It says that, oh, he's quoting from Joel, and he says, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit. So the last days is a reference to that whole period of time ever since Jesus left. It's clearly not the literal last hour when John wrote this, because it's been 2,000 years since he wrote it. Hello, you see? So it, it's not to be taken like literally the last hour. Jesus is going to come back in the next, in, in, in the, in the next you know, literal hour, 60 minutes course not. So the Bible uses these phrases to encompass a period of time, and that's important to, to keep in mind. Now, how close are we to the end? If, if I have to give my personal opinion, I would say we're at about 11 p.m. You read Matthew 24, and these are all in your notes today, 1 Timothy 4, Matthew 24, 1 Timothy 4, 2 Timothy 3. We are seeing Many of the things that Jesus said would happen prior to his return happening at an increasing level. And so I would say we're at about 11 p.m. But listen, so yes, the answer to this is yes, we are in the end times. How close to striking midnight, I don't know. But I will say this, you and I need to be ready regardless. Because whether Christ returns today at 1 p.m., or whether I leave this parking lot and get nailed by an 18-wheeler, it could be my last hour. 
It could be your last hour. Therefore, we need to live in such a way that we're ready regardless. So that we don't shrink in shame at His coming, verse 28. You see? It's not time to play church. Playing church is over. It's not time to be religious. It's time to be radically right with Jesus, abiding in Jesus, loving Jesus with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, knowing that we are saved by the blood of Christ and nothing else. And that we are holding fast to Him in close fellowship with other people, abiding in the Word so that if He came back today at 1 p.m., I'm ready. Are you ready? Now, one of the big events that's going to happen prior to the end of the end of the end is the rise of what is called the Antichrist, number two. Who is this Antichrist? The answer, I don't know. And neither do you. (laughs) Now, there have been many projections over the years about who he is. Some are even saying now Putin's him. Putin's going to lead a a one-world government, this whole war in Ukraine. Putin's going to rise as the one-world government leader, and he's the Antichrist. Oh, wait, no. No, Zelensky's the Antichrist. Oh, wait, no. Trump's the Antichrist. Oh, no, no. Biden's the Antichrist. I mean, you get all... One thing, this, one, one advantage of being 61 years of age is I've seen so many projections over the years about who the Antichrist is. I bet Steve, Pier, I bet Steve and Kathy Pierce remember this one. Remember Gorbachev? Let's bring Gorbachev up. Okay, Gorbachev was the leader of the Soviet Party from 1985 to 1991. Now, look at... Look at wait, wait, go back. Look at his forehead. There were people, I'm not making this up, that said he was the Antichrist because that birthmark was the mark of the beast. I'm not kidding. People said he's the Antichrist because, see, he's got the mark of the beast on his forehead. Let's zoom in there. Go to the next one. See it a little closer. Yeah, see the the mark of the beast there? Now, here's a concern I have about some. I'm not pointing my finger at anybody here. But, but I, I, see, I see a lot of people that get so wrapped up in end times prophecy. And, and they're, they're, they spend more time focusing on what we don't know that they don't do what we know we should do. <laughs> they, they send me videos and articles and all these things, and that's fine and dandy. I probably won't read most of them, honestly, so don't waste your time. But anyway, uh, it's about all these projections about the end times. And then sometimes I want to say, and I'm not pointing fingers at anybody, uh, but I, I kind of want to say, well, are you sharing your faith? Are you discipling people? Are you in the Word? Just to love your, are you loving your spouse? And these kind of things. You know, if we're doing what we know we should do, we're ready regardless. Now, we should be discerning. I, I'm not saying we shouldn't be discerning and try to, to see about some of the signs that are happening, but I'm telling you, it's been 2,000 years since this was written, and the, the bottom line, even Jesus said, the Son of Man doesn't know the day or the hour. 2 Thessalonians 2. Let's see what we do know about the Antichrist. Go to the left a few books. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. There is going to be the rise. The Antichrist will come into power as you turn to 2 Thessalonians 2. He will come into power. He will be a, he will be a leader, a, probably the leader of a one-world government. He will sign a covenant with Israel for seven years. This seven-year period is known as the tribulation. During the tribulation, there will be terrible wars, famines, plagues, and natural disasters. You better be ready if you do have to go through it. Some believe we're raptured out of it. Some believe we're raptured in the middle of it. Just be ready regardless. Pray for pre-trib. Be prepared for post-trib. God will be pouring out His wrath against sin, evil, and wickedness. The tribulation will include the appearance of the four horsemen of the apocalypse and the seven seal, trumpets, and bold judgments. Halfway through the seven years, the Antichrist will break the peace covenant with Israel. And make war against her. The Antichrist, also called the beast in Revelation, will commit the abomination of desolation, set up an image of himself to be worshipped in the Jerusalem temple, which will have been rebuilt. At the end, listen, the end of the seven-year tribulation, the Antichrist will launch a final attack on Israel, on Jerusalem, culminating in what is called the Battle of Armageddon. Hallelujah! Jesus Christ will return... He'll destroy the Antichrist and his armies and cast them into the lake of fire. Christ will then bind Satan in the abyss for a thousand years and he'll rule his earthly kingdom for this thousand year period called the millennium. At the end of the thousand years, Satan will be released for a short time 
and deceive some, but then he'll be defeated again and cast into the lake of fire for all of eternity. Hallelujah. You read about this in Revelation 19, 20, and 21. Christ then judges all unbelievers at the great white throne judgment, casting them into the lake of fire. Christ will then usher in a new heaven and a new earth, the new Jerusalem, the eternal dwelling for believers, where there will be no more sin, sorrow, or death. Hallelujah. Jesus reigns. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it says, Now concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit. See, Satan is a deceiver. Demons create what is called doctrines of demons to deceive people. By a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us. So people were claiming at this time to write letters that were, a, that were inspired by the Holy Spirit, and they weren't. To the effect that the day of the Lord has come, as if Christ has already returned. Let no one deceive you in any way. Listen, we need to hear that. Let no one deceive you, guys. Listen, don't take my word for it. Be like the Bereans, examining daily to see if what David Holt says is true. If it's not, don't believe it. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. Definitely don't want to be those who rebel against the Lord. And here it is. The man of lawlessness, that's the Antichrist, is revealed. The son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill, hallelujah, with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming, hallelujah. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. So the Antichrist will be this leader who will emerge, but Jesus Christ will defeat him. Praise God. Now, what is probably more important for our discussion is what is number three. Who are these many antichrists? Notice the plural there. Now many antichrists have come. Verse 22 makes it clear that anyone who denies the Father and the Son is part of this many antichrists. Go to 1 John 4, verse 3. Same book, chapter 4, verse 3. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. Not literally the Antichrist like we just talked about, who's going to be this one person who does all these things. But the spirit of the Antichrist, in other words, Satan's behind it all, demons are behind it all. The spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and now is in the world already. So here's the bottom line. Who are these many Antichrists? Any group, any individual, any philosophy, any church that doesn't teach accurately who Jesus is and what he did is an antichrist. Because it is anti-Christ. So who is the true Jesus? He is fully God, fully man. He is the full representation of God. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's fully God, fully man. The deity of Christ is an essential doctrine. He had to be fully God and fully man to fully take your sins and mine at the cross and absorb the judgment and the wrath of God. This is the true Christ. He's the Alpha. He's the Omega. He's the beginning. He's the end. He's coming back. And He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but through Him. This is the true Christ. Hallelujah. So there are many groups. There were many groups then, and there are many groups now that don't preach the true Christ. Paul said in Corinthians, they preach to you another Jesus. Ooh. Well, they say they believe in Jesus. They say He's the Son of God. That doesn't mean they're believing in the true Christ. The Bible says that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. He will get so close to the true dollar bill that you will be fooled by the counterfeit. Some of the false teachings of John's day were these. Gnosticism, Docetism, Corinthus, Serenthus. And we won't cover those. We'll probably cover them maybe a little bit later in this book. 
But there are many false groups today. Mormons do not believe in the true Jesus of the Bible. Jehovah Witnesses, it's a different Jesus. So be careful. You need to know what groups preach and what they believe. You need to dig into the doctrine because many, it says, in the end times will be led astray. There will be a great falling away. That's one of the signs kind of in that 11 p.m. to midnight part of the last days that there will be many who will be led astray and follow the doctrine of demons. So how this might cause you to be fearful. But let me say this. It's not just false teachings where Satan works. I believe that spiritual warfare is ramping up. The Bible says that Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The Bible says be on the alert, Christian. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. I think I'm going to do a devotion on this this week, but some of the more common ways that Satan works, so we need to be alert. I believe that sexual immorality is one of the biggest ways that the enemy attacks because when, there's, when a person engages with sex with somebody outside of a one-man, one-woman marital relationship, it creates a soul tie. And that person can come under demonic oppression because of that. And it needs to be confessed and renounced and that ground taken back. And praise God, we can do that. I'm taking one of our small groups through the seven steps to freedom tomorrow night. Three-hour process. Seven steps to being radically right with God where you close any doors that you may have given to the enemy in your life. You confess sins. You renounce those sins. You command any demons that may, you may have given access to in your life to be gone. And I mean, I have seen people radically set free through that process. Satan works through things like sexual immorality. He works, he attacks marriages and families. He, 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 he loves to use fear. Spirit of fear, 2 Timothy 1.7. Bitterness and unforgiveness. Matthew 18 says, if you hold bitterness in your heart and you don't forgive, that you could be handed over to the tormentors. Causing division in the body. The Lord, the, the enemy loves to attack a church and try to do things that cause discord and dissension and division. Listen, the enemy is relentless and we need to be on guard. We need to be diligent to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And so we need to be alert. And the good news is that number four is what is this anointing? Because after all of that, you may, you may be, be kind of like, man... How do we survive? This is, this is a little overwhelming. I'm a little overwhelmed by all this. Well, the good news number four is, what is this anointing? What, the anointing in this chapter is the presence and power of the Holy Spirit that indwells every believer and gives you the ability to distinguish between truth and error. That's what it is. Now, I believe in things like, man, that was an anointed message. That was an anointed song. I believe in that. But that's not what this anointing is referring to. This anointing is referring to the fact that every believer has the ability to distinguish between truth and error because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Isn't that good news? And when he said you have no need for anyone to teach you, he's not saying you don't need teachers because the Bible says a lot about needing teachers. But what he's saying is, guys, I know you're kind of overwhelmed right now. This was a, a very young group of believers. He's calling them little children. They're probably pretty immature, okay? Remember we talked about children, young men, fathers. So these, these young believers are very vulnerable they're getting overwhelmed by all these things. Well, they're teaching that Jesus wasn't really God. And they're teaching that the Spirit is good, but the flesh is bad. So Jesus didn't really exist. He just kind of was like a figment of our imagination. There were all these weird teachings, and they're probably getting overwhelmed. And he's like, look, you have the anointing. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And the Holy Spirit can give you the ability to distinguish between truth and error. And so take heart, believer. If you're truly born again today, you're truly saved by the blood of Jesus, you put your faith and trust in Christ alone, guess what happened at that moment? Ephesians 1.13 says the Holy Spirit came inside of you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. You are sealed with the Spirit till the day of redemption. The Bible says in Romans 8, 9 through 11, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of you. You have the very presence and power of, of, of the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that empowered Jesus' ministry. If you're a true believer today, if you're a true follower of Jesus today, you have the Holy Spirit in you. Say, say I have the Holy Spirit. I have the anointing. And that Spirit in you gives you the ability to discern. Now, we have another advantage they didn't have. They had the indwelling Holy Spirit. Well, what advantage do we have? You can't answer it, Rich. What, what, what advantage do we have 
that they didn't have. What do we have today that these believers that John is writing to didn't have? Good job, brother. He held up his Bible. The scriptures were being written, and they were recognizing that what was written was divinely inspired, but they didn't have the 66 books of the inspired Word of God like we do. (laughs) So we even have a greater ability to discern today because we've got the Word and the Spirit. That's what the anointing is. All right, final question. What is the perseverance of the saints? John Piper says that verse 19 is one of the strongest passages supporting this doctrine called the perseverance of the saints. Listen closely. Some of you, this is going to be unfamiliar to you. They went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. This is a doctrine in what is called Reformed theology that I personally adhere to that says that those who are truly saved, true followers of Jesus, will persevere to the end. It doesn't mean that they won't stray from time to time, but if they do, they will come under the discipline of the loving Father that Hebrews 12 speaks of, and they'll return. Because Hebrews 12 says, if you are without discipline, you are illegitimate children and not true sons. So a true child of God will persevere to the end. If they stray, they'll return. And if they don't, then it shows they were never saved in the first place. Now, this is not a doctrine that should divide us. Because I have talked with many people who do believe you can lose your salvation. I don't believe you can lose your salvation because I believe that true believers will persevere to the end. But I've talked with others, and I used to get David Wilkerson's mailings. Man, it had a profound impact on my life. David Wilkerson believed you could lose your salvation. So where this is important is this should not divide us. Because at the end of the day, when I talk to people who believe they can lose their salvation, we really agree on about 99% of the discussion because here's where we end up at the end of the day. We've got a person who's not walking with God. I would say they may not have ever gotten saved. This person would say they lost their salvation. I say, well, well, the bottom line is what are we going to say to that person? We're going to say repent, get right with God. (laughs) Whether I say you were never saved in the first place or whether they say they were saved but lost, it doesn't matter. We both will say repent and get right with God. Because the way to know that you know that you know that you know and to not shrink in shame at His coming is by abiding. Being in a relationship with Jesus that's consistent now. So let me give you some other verses that I believe support this. 2 John 9. So same author. Let's go one book to the right. 2 John 9. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide, that's persevering, in the teachings of Christ, does not have God. That's about as plain as it gets, I think. But another passage, Hebrews 3, verse 6. So go to the left a few books. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6. Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. So if you don't hold fast, then you're not his house or a child of God. Hebrews 3, verse 14. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Matthew 24, 13. And this is in a lot of the passages dealing with the, I call it the 11 p.m. to midnight portion of the end times. Matthew 24, signs of the end of the age is how this is called. It talks about the abomination of desolation, which is the, the, what we talked about earlier with the Antichrist. But Matthew 24, verse 13 says, But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Philippians 1, 6 says, He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, He who calls you is faithful, and he will bring it to pass. So in Wayne Grudem's Bible Doctrine or Systematic Theology, he defines it this way, the perseverance of the saints means that all those who are truly born again will be kept by God's power and will persevere as Christians until the end of their lives. And only those who persevere until the end have been truly born again. In other words, all who are truly born again will persevere to the end. Charles Spurgeon says, if there is one doctrine I have preached more than another, It is the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, even to the end. Martin Lloyd-Jones, there is nothing which so certifies the genuineness of a man's faith as his patience 
and his patient endurance. His keeping on steadily in spite of everything. And then John Piper says, the assurance of the believer, (laughs) this is good, is not that God will save him even if he stops believing, but that God will keep him believing. God will sustain you in faith. He will make your hope firm and stable to the end. He will cause you to persevere. Piper says, if we could lose our salvation, we would. (laughs) What a glorious doctrine that God is faithful. He will keep us and we trust him. So we've talked about five things today in 30 minutes. Y'all just saw a sign and a wonder. Modern sign and wonder right here. Are we in the end times? Yes. In a broad sense, and very likely even in the narrower sense, because of what we're seeing around us. Who is the Antichrist? Well, we don't know specifically who, but we do know what he's going to be doing, and it's not good. Who are these many Antichrists? Any group, philosophy, or religion that doesn't teach that Jesus is God in flesh and doesn't believe in the full atonement of his sacrifice? What is this anointing? It's the presence and power of the Spirit that helps you to discern truth from error. And what is the perseverance of the saints? All who are truly born again will persevere to the end because God holds you with His righteous right hand. And no one can snatch you out of His hand. Hallelujah. All right, let's take some questions. number's mine, so I'll try to watch it. I didn't even, I had like 15 texted to me in first service, couldn't even get to them because so many were asked in the service itself. Raise your hand, a mic will be brought to you. Good sermon. Uh, you talk about the Antichrist, there's a lot of people, there's a, the, spirit, the spirit of the Antichrist is very strong right now. Yep. You got a lot of People who profess Jesus, or they want to have all this different stuff, but the one, but here's a question for you, Pastor. Um, you know, he talked about the Antichrist. I hear a lot of people saying, "Hey, you know, we in the end times, or hey, we got the everything going on right now." I don't think anybody really knows. So. The temple, what would the temple be? Have you thought about that? Like you, mean, you mean the rebuilding the whole, of it? The temple where they say the Antichrist is going to be yes. like in the Bible. Right. Many, most believe that the temple is going to be rebuilt. And that that's where it's going to happen. That the temple will be rebuilt. And that the Antichrist will set his foot in the temple, which the Bible says, and declare himself to be God or to be worshipped. Are you the only one with a mic? You're doing it all by yourself? I thought we had two mic holders. There we go. Thank you, Jeff. All right, right here. Will? So I'm wondering, um, are the Jews going to follow the Antichrist? Because earlier you said that he would um, re, uh, reignite a war against Israel. Yeah, so um, it's, it's, it's not totally clear. Are the Jews going to follow the Antichrist? I think, I think a lot of people are going to. I don't think it's just going to be the Jewish people. I think it's going to be, there, there'll be people, so many people will be led astray by the Antichrist because he'll be, he'll be like the leader of this one world government and many will follow him and for a while he's going to seem to be awesome and a, and a ruler of peace. That's going to what's going to draw people in. He's going to appear to be, you know, bringing peace to the world. Um, by the way, and I'm not slamming Biden for this, but I'm just saying, did you know this week he talked about a new world order? Biden used that phrase in a speech this week. You know, we're, we're going to be having a new world order. Is that forecasting some? I, I don't know, you know, but it's interesting because that's going to be part of what's going to happen with the Antichrist. Um, so it's hard to answer, but I, I don't know that it's going to be unique that, 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 to the Jewish race. I think it's going to be many people are going to be deceived and follow. Um, but there might be many Jews who actually believe he's the Messiah. Because remember, the reason they missed Jesus as the Messiah back 2,000 years ago is their understanding of the Messiah was that he would be a political ruler, bring peace to everybody. So that may be one of the ways that he leads all these other people to think that he is 
the Messiah because he's going to at first appear to bring peace and unity and all of that, but then his true identity is going to come out and it is not going to be pretty. Hi. Um, and I, by the way, HW did too and other with the New World Order. It's been said before many, many yeah. times. Yes. Um, but my question is, do any, when we look at people and sort of have that not great discerning feeling of, of a little bit of, mm, this isn't good, do we need to research the whole person, not just the one thing they said? And this is for religious believers too, but we're just leaders as well. Yes. I mean, do we need to research the whole person and the whole shebang with political leaders, religious leaders, things like that? When you have a check in your spirit about something regarding them? Yeah, I mean, with the Antichrist spirit in them. Well, I think, first of all, it's, it's important is, do I have a pony in this fight? In other words, don't waste your time trying to research everybody out there that might be off base, or you're going to, you're going to, your head's going to be spinning. But if it's somebody that affects you personally, or you, yeah, or you have a, a, a loved one or a friend who's getting involved in a certain group or a teaching, absolutely, it would be wise. Uh, recently, somebody, you know, asked me to research a specific group that they're getting some of their teachings from. And I went to the website, went to the doctrinal statement, and, you know, 90% was good, but there were a couple red flags. Does that mean they're a heretic? Not necessarily, because, again, the key, and this is why we, we, we preach this so strong here, unity in the essentials, diversity in the non-essentials, love in all things. How do you tell an essential? It has a direct relevance on your salvation. So believing that you can lose your salvation or not, that's not an essential. Because they can believe that you lose it, but they're still believing in Christ alone for salvation, you see. But the deity of Christ, the blood atonement, those are essentials. The Bible as the inerrant, infallible, final authority, as the Word of God, that's an essential. Mormons have an additional book, the Book of Mormons. So that's touching on an essential, okay? So I believe that Mormons are a cult. I believe Jehovah's Witnesses are a cult because of what they teach about Jesus. But many within that group many times don't even know what they teach. And so, can there be a person genuinely saved in those groups? Sure, because, because God can work in many ways, and they may not, but if you look at those teachings, and we had somebody in the first service who, used, who was 17 years in the Mormon church, and he had an amazing statement today about some of the stuff they teach that is way off base. And so, but it'll look like the same Jesus, and that's why Paul said in Corinthians, they preach to you another Jesus. Be aware, guys. So the essentials, yes, you better study those. It is what do you believe about who Jesus is and what he came to do. And especially fully God, fully man to be the full atonement for our sins. If he's not fully God and fully man, he can't be the full atonement for our sins. Because he had to be divine to be the perfect sacrifice. He had to be human to take our sin upon himself. It's his blood and his blood alone. If they add anything to the cross of Jesus. Hey, what did he say in Galatians? Paul said in Galatians, if they preach to you another gospel, let them be anathema. That means a curse. That literally means they, that they go to hell. That's, just being, that's exactly what Paul said. May they go to hell. They're preaching to you a different gospel. They're leading you astray. They're adding to the cross of Christ. They're saying, oh, it's Jesus plus obedience to the Old Testament law. Oh, it's Jesus plus baptism. Oh, it's Jesus plus go to mass every week. Oh, it's Jesus, you know, whatever you can add to it. If they say, oh, it's Jesus plus, you've got to be a member of Living Hope Church. No! <laughs> it's, it's, here it is. It's faith in faith alone, by grace alone, by faith alone, and Christ alone for the glory of God alone. That's the true gospel. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. That is what you believe. Brian. Yeah. Um... One of the things, the first things you said is that, you know, how important it is for us to focus on the things that we do know to do and uh, to not get carried away with a lot of the things that are ambiguous and hard to prove. And one of the things that I've noticed, like, if, if we do get caught up in trying to discern so many things about the end times is that we, there's an anxiousness. And I know, like, oftentimes us, the people that seem the most passionate about it are the ones that have the least amount of peace. Oh, say and that one more time. Uh, the ones that are the most passionate about it about seem, the end times seem to have the least amount of peace. But the thing I noticed wow. about it, so by the way, just stop right there. That is very that is very profound, and this is why I do have a concern about some that get so focused on end time stuff, mm -hmm. and they spend more time focusing on what we don't know than doing what we do know. 
Yeah. And you just said that the fruit is they're, just, they're, they're, all in, they're anxious, they're not at peace. Well, the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, mm-hmm. patience, kindness. The, and the irony about that is, you know, Mark 13, I think even, you know, John 14, 15, and 16 are sort of uh, echoing or um, parallel to the verses you're talking about. Even 2 Thessalonians, all the first thing they say is, do not worry. Do not let your heart be troubled. Amen. Do not be anxious. Like, if there's anything we know that we're supposed to do in relation to the end times, don't worry. So good, brother. Thank you. All right, worship team, come out. Text me, and uh, I'll try to answer any other questions this afternoon. Man, that's perfect lead into how I want to end today. Brian, thank you. Let's look at 28 as we wrap this up today. Verse 28. Because I think this is really the, the bullseye of where God would want our focus to be with all this discussion and questions today. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, and let's just say, if Christ were to come back at 1 p.m. today, are you ready? Or if you died today at 1 p.m., are you ready? Are you abiding? I mean, that's the bottom line today, right? The greatest way to have assurance of your salvation is be abiding in the Lord. Not just that you prayed a prayer to receive Christ when you were eight years old. Now, you may have gotten genuinely born again when you prayed that prayer at eight years old. I'm not saying that can't happen. But I'm just saying, biblically and based on 1 John, the greatest way to have assurance of salvation is not, oh, I prayed to receive Christ when I was eight years old and I walked an aisle and I got baptized. Are you abiding? Are you walking with Him today? Because 1 John would say the greatest way to have assurance Not only of salvation, but the assurance that when he comes, you're ready, or when you die, you're ready, is by abiding. Abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Wow. So here's a question, you guys, and I ask myself this. Listen, Shannon said it well last week. I've been preaching this to me all week. (laughs) Y'all get it for 30 minutes or 45 on Sunday, but it's been in my heart and, and with me all week. And here's the question. If Jesus Christ came back today at 1 p.m., if you died today at 1 p.m., is there anything in your life right now that you'd be ashamed of? Or is there anything right now in your life that if he came back when you were doing it, you'd be embarrassed? I'm not just talking about sex with somebody you're not married to. I'm not just talking about looking at porn. I'm not just talking about, you know, spreading gossip. Or causing division. But it might be something as simple as spending hours playing video games. Is it a sin to play a video game? Not necessarily. But if you are wasting your life on things that are so trivial. Then how would you feel if Jesus came back and you were doing that? Whatever it is that maybe is coming into your mind right now. Then maybe, just maybe, that needs to be really surrendered to God today. This is not about legalism, guys. It's not about earning your salvation. It's only by the blood of Jesus. As we receive him and as we're his child, then we want to walk in such a way we're abiding. What does abiding mean? It means you're walking consistently with him. You're praying. You're in the word. You're in fellowship. You're seeking to be filled with the spirit each moment. Yes, you will fall. Yes, you will sin. Yes, you will stray. But you quickly come back because the loving discipline of the father points that out to you and you want to quickly come back. And you say, God, to the best of my heart, I want to be fully and completely yielded and surrendered to you. So I want us all to stand right now. And I'm going to kind of do something kind of weird. But I'm really I'm going to open this altar up. And I'm going to be the first down here. Because what I'm saying as I kneel right here today is I'm saying, God, I want to be fully surrendered. I want to be abiding in you. And some of you, if you're not born again, You need to receive Christ today. You need to surrender for the first time. But it may be the second time. It may be the third time. It may be the hundredth time. I want to surrender every opportunity I get. Because I want to be abiding in Him. Don't you want to be abiding in Him? Knowing that you're fully yielded. And you you just say, there's such freedom and joy in this. There's peace in this, Brian. When you say, search me, O God, and know my heart. 
If there's anything in my life, God, that I need to repent of, I want to do it. Now, one more thing before we do this. If, if, if there is an area that you know grieves the Lord, and you're surrendering that to God, this is really important. You, you surrender it to God. You affirm that it was forgiven when Jesus died on the cross. You're not sitting there begging to be forgiven. You say, God, I thank you that's under the blood. Thank you that it was paid for and I'm righteous in Christ. And then, here's the other thing. You say, God, fill me with your spirit. Because we need the power and presence of the spirit to continue to abide. Okay? So you surrender it. You affirm the forgiveness and righteousness you have because of the cross. Hey, look at this, these crosses today, by the way. Friday night at Celebrate Recovery, people wrote down sins they've committed and they nailed them to the cross to be symbolic that it was paid for by Jesus. Hallelujah. So you affirm that righteousness and you just say, Holy Spirit, I need your power. So you ask for a fresh filling and empowerment of his spirit. So Lord, we thank you today. We praise you for your word and your spirit. Lord, now we come and we surrender. We want to say, God, we fully surrender. Prayer team, if you'd go take your places, please, before I open the altar. Maybe you want to pray with somebody. Let's give this just a few minutes before we go into the song. So there's plenty of time. You come. You come now. A time of surrender, yieldedness. Say, God, I want to be abiding in you. Oh, Lord, we yield to you. We lay it all before you, God. You are worthy. We don't want to shrink in shame at your coming. We want to be ready each and every day. We yield, Lord. We surrender. We lay it all before you. And God, we say we can't do this on our own. There's areas in our lives that they grip us and they're so tough and we're tempted and we stray. But God, we yield those today and we say, Holy Spirit, fill us. Holy Spirit, take control. Holy Spirit, give us the victory that only you can give in this area of my life. Lord, I give it to you. I give it all to you today. Come now, come and surrender. Maybe kneel where you're sitting. Surrender to the Lord. Don't hold back anything. You want to be ready.